flexible learning spaces have been evolving rapidly to accommodate new styles of learning. Technology has been at the center of these changes, both as the impetus to create more interactive classroom experiences, and also as a reflection of the tools and knowledge sources central to learning. Now this adaptability is even more essential in a remote learning landscape. But alongside the functional nature of the tech-centric classroom, there is also a human-centric shift that is occurring. How can we demystify technology and ask questions about usability? And what are the ways that AV and media tools can be used to harness the potential of narrative in learning? Welcome back to the Tide Generator podcast. I'm your host, Kirsten Nelson. Um, technology and education is very much in the spotlight right now, especially with remote learning being so prevalent in the midst of a pandemic. But, you know, in the midst of all that practicality and trying to solve problems in the moment, there's also the potential for a lot of inspiration for what we might build next. So with me here to discuss the possibilities and new modes of learning are two experts in the field. Um, we have Dr. Margot Dwaihi, a writer, editor, and analyst who is currently teaching at Franklin Pierce University. Hello, welcome, Margot. Thank you so much. It is such an honor to be here with you both. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And we have Francesca Burks, a global insights leader with a prestigious architecture firm. Hello, Francesca, hi. Hello, thanks for having me as well. It's nice to be here with both of you. Hi, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to catching up about what's happening now and what we can maybe dream up for the future. So yeah, I guess starting with what's happening now, um, we're definitely seeing that adaptability is the key. We're definitely seeing that we need to be able to adjust. And I, I wondered how you're seeing that play out in your work at the moment. Um, maybe we should start with Margot. Like, how's, how are things looking as, as you try to envision a return to the academic calendar this year? So Franklin Pierce University is back on site and the Unsung heroes uh, have been the technology team, the instructional designers, the ideal cohort, which is the uh, interdisciplinary group of professors that are on the front lines in terms of testing the technology, helping to implement and de deploy it alongside the tech team. So I think what has been the biggest lesson of this entire experience has been what might work initially may not be sustainable or scalable. So what happened in the, in the spring was this extreme rush of rapid shift to remote and it was, it worked, it was okay. But what we have to think about now is what's sustainable. So the radical adaptability, the ability to have a high flex mode and model of really rigorous, engaged, passionate face-to-face -face teaching, as well as, the ability to have an equally inclusive and engaging experience for every student that might be dialing in through a soft codec in a breakout room across the hall because we're doing physical distancing at, at Franklin Pierce. I'm actually not on campus until the spring term, but the what we're hearing through all the meetings and the, the ideal cohort seminars are that this the students that are, you know, six or seven, all seven to 10 feet apart in the, in the seats, but then others dialing in from other locations on campus. 
so that everybody does have that opportunity to have the synchronous class that they like and the you know all of the lectures are being recorded for any asynchronous um, you know experience that the students might want to go to so I think what we're seeing is just that a uh, real enjoyment of the poly 50 systems that have been the new systems that are brought into the classrooms that do the teachers the high flex capabilities that they want but um, it's a, it's definitely work in progress. We're iterating as we go. I'm, again, just my colleagues have been amazing, very transparent, and just trying to um, take an approach of more, you know, the more that we do on the upfront level and the more we can do behind the scenes, then when it's time for the semester to begin, which we're already in week two, COVID tests every week and, you know, making sure that safety, security, and the the health and well-being students is, of the staff is priority, but you know they the school has chosen to go on site, and so that there's just been a lot to consider. But again, that the adaptability baked into the room has been the has been the key. Yeah, Francesca, how that is that something that you've been seeing with education clients too that come to you looking for how to design for the future? Adaptability must be one of the things on their mind, regardless Definitely. of the scenario. Yeah. I think that that's right, Kirsten. Um, I, I think, you know, when we think about the world of education, it's so broad, right? So I think, you know, I think of um, higher ed, which we have many clients that we work with in higher ed, and I think K through 12, which is a completely other experience um, when you start to think about some of the current challenges that they're having in terms of, you know, age appropriate technologies and what, what you know, different ages can handle and how it impacts their learning experience. So on the higher ed front, I, I would say, I would completely concur um, with what Margot is saying, which is, you know, some universities have definitely risen to the challenge and are doing, you know, they're all doing a phenomenal job. Let's be honest. They're all, they're all um, doing what they can to deal with these unprecedented circumstances, but you definitely see in our conversations with some of our higher ed clients that there is a spectrum of, of responses and that there are some who believe that you know within a year we'll go back to where we were right there's a there's a group that just thinks let's just deal with the situation we'll get a vaccine and then we'll go back to how life was on campus um, there are those on the other edge of the spectrum that are really seeing this as a, a moment for transformation an opportunity to finally realize some of the you know superior outcomes, better outcomes, superior is a bit of an elitist word, but better outcomes that can happen as, as a result of hybrid learning, you know, combining in-person um, classroom learning with, um, you know, virtual uh, learning experiences and where AV can play a tremendous part. And then there's a huge group in the middle that's kind of sitting on the fence and is seeing the need for adaptability and flexibility, both in the physical classrooms, but also in terms of their AV and technology infrastructure. And I think, um, you know, there's this sense of like, let's try and cover both. Um, but, you know, as we all know, it's not enough to set up the uh, infrastructure, the tech infrastructure. There's all this training. And, and to what Margo said before, you need to have fantastic instructional um, designers along with fantastic instructional technologists to make sure that we're collaborating to create the best 
learning um, environments. And so I just feel like we're seeing a range, uh, you know, as we were saying before, new information comes out on a daily basis. So it's not an easy time to be um, in the education world where part of your responsibility is ensuring the, the well-being and the safety of both your, your faculty, your staff, and the students. And this is just making that a challenging, a challenging place to be right now. And we don't want to burden our teachers. The, the professors have so much uh, that they need to contend with. So when we do think about the technology, it has to be dead simple to use and it has to be so radically adaptable that because we know that certainly we'll have a vaccine and you know the pandemic will at some point be in the rear view mirror. But what I think this has shown us is that it's hard to predict what might come down uh, the line depending on you know, how students may want to, they may demand a new level of flexibility, just like we're seeing in the corporate sector. So I just think it behooves institutions and institutional leadership to, to really scrutinize the choices in terms of new, new wings of universities, new departments within the university that may benefit from these high flex or blended models, or maybe even fully online. And it might be great new revenue streams these might be also revenue streams that are incredibly essential right now because of lost room and board. We're seeing, I live in Northampton, Massachusetts, and Smith College is fully remote. Amherst College is fully remote. Um, you know, so the life of the downtown is actually dramatically different and the whole little ecosystem or big ecosystem of the university is also different because we don't have those students living on campus, living in the dorms, going to the the food halls, et cetera. And I think the technologists that get it and the instructional designers know the more that we can deploy and implement systems that can be used for X use case, B use case, C use case, you know, the better. Because I, I just think multi-purpose is being reevaluated with, with just a, a close eye right now um, on an institutional mission level as well as budget it makes just much more sense in so many ways. Yeah, the actually, Francesca, that makes me think the usability factor of this, you know, do you find that a lot of institutions are, they see technology, maybe they're still really hesitant because it seems really intimidating. And if we put this in, will anybody use it? Um, is, do you think there's a future where we could kind of overcome that and see these tools as, as creative tools? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think like the maturity levels really vary um, by educational institution. And I, I think that, you know, as Margot said, the, the spring we all acknowledge was a, a huge experiment and it went well in some places and it was really horrible in other places. And I think, you know, the fall will continue to be a huge experiment and we're already seeing some of the, the data come out right now. Uh, and I, I think, um, you know, those who don't resist change, those who are, who are adaptive, um, those who are creative, we're all being asked to be far more creative than we've had to be um, in a while. And I think they're going to rise to the challenge and they're going to start to really explore where are the, where are the benefits? You know, I, I'm intrigued um, by Northeastern. That's definitely embraced. They were kind of headed this way and they're like, all right, full on, we're moving, making this transition um, with their 
their NU Flex program. And that's exciting because now they're able to connect their different campuses, right? And so they're seeing an opportunity to kind of say, hey, let's bring together our students in Asia with our students in, in the US who are all studying, you know, biology 101 or whatever it is. Um, and and let, let's um, leverage this as an opportunity for them to be able to learn. And then there's the, the you know, socioeconomic side of, of um, this conversation, which is if you're holding down a job or two, um, the ability to be able to access um, learning whenever it is convenient and whenever you're able to is certainly, you know, a, a wonderful evolution and, and I would say progressive. So I, 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 I think we're going to see a whole range of responses and I think some, are, some institutions are going to rise to the challenge and maybe it's a question of time that it's going to take you know, others, the ones in the middle, a little bit more time, but they're going to see actually, um, to Margo's point, you know, we need to start planning for multiple scenarios. Like, look at all the hurricanes that are coming in. Like, you're not going to want to leave, um, you know, the, the safety of, of your home. And we're certainly going to be seeing more of that in the future. So adaptability, creativity um, are going to be so important moving forward. Yeah, I feel like the global campus, that's that's something that we can actually embrace, the notion that, yeah, the campuses can be connected globally and you suddenly have a lot more access to sharing knowledge and resources around the world. That makes me think of the interdisciplinary stuff you were talking about, Margot, about how there's there's vast new ways that departments can collaborate. There's It's not just certain departments that can benefit from using these new tools. You know, AR and VR might seem really techie, but they can actually be very literary and artsy too. I don't know if you wanted to talk about oh, the expansion yeah. that might happen there. Yeah, This is a huge passion point for me and I'm so excited about it. I focus on creative writing, editing, publishing, storytelling, the tenets of what makes good communication but I'm also passionate about technology, emerging technology, AR, VR, XR, artificial intelligence, and I'm constantly looking for ways to bring these worlds together and also simply highlight the ways they already overlap and live in symbiosis with each other. Every single time we've had a new technological development, it has changed the content from distribution, you know, in uh, serialized storytelling in newspapers and magazines to, you know, the printing press to, to email, you know, to um, novels on Twitter and Instagram movies, and now VR as, as a new uh, way to make videos and to have storyboarding, mood boarding. So I love the inherent is interdisciplinarity of XR. And what I'm trying to do is introduce more creative writers, journalists, storytellers to XR, AR. Imagine you know, uh, using Google Earth, so having a group of writers, storytellers, uh, whether it's you know, more on the narrative side or journalistic side, it really doesn't matter. Just looking at the precepts of what makes good storytelling, uh, thinking about literally pulling anything from a syllabus, maybe it's looking at how to thicken and sustain suspense or dialogue or looking at the connection between context and content. So we go, you know, using our, our Oculus Rift or Quest, go to the Colosseum in Rome using Google Earth VR, and then maybe patching in, this is where our coders and our software developers come in, um, using Tilt Brush to merge with 
uh, using the Tilt Brush app with Google Earth. So you're in, we're all, you know, together and we're sitting in the Colosseum in Rome and then thinking about uh, theatricality and place and how to write, maybe a, our assignment is writing a flash fiction piece or writing a, you know, a small scene of dialogue sitting literally in the Colosseum in Rome. These are just really exciting examples of experimentation, but um, it might draw you right back to the tool, your favorite tool, which is your pen and paper, and it, that's great. You simply have more validity of the mode that works for your practice at that time. I really want to disabuse everyone of the notion that old is bad and new is good automatically. I think that's a really smothering uh, binary that doesn't work. Uh, but what I do really want to urge and stress is that there are these tools out there that are multimodal that help with bringing more learning styles to our students and to our campuses. And you never know what's going to spark a new way of thinking or help a student synthesize or work with their process. Some students are certainly more movement and kinetically oriented. Some are more visual learners, even if they're writers. You know, we have a lot more neurodiverse students on campus that we want to embrace and work to, the, to our fullest potential as, as teams and as coalitions. So I think that's what one of the reasons I think um, an interdisciplinary approach to storytelling in my particular world is really helpful. But that also means that we're, we're looking at communication technologies from the art side, so from you know, some of those more classic liberal arts sections, but also asking designers to think about some of the engineering that goes into some of these solutions and then asking engineers to think creatively. I think that's what bringing these folks together almost as teams is really what I'm hoping to do much more of with I'm in putting a course development together for a spatial storytelling class. So looking at some wonderful artists, some pioneering artists like Lori Anderson and how she uses VR in the chalk room installation at Mass Mocha. How the, she, she has made her own instruments. She's an audio artist. She's a video artist. She dance, etc. But these are just all part of our lexicon now and we're using them in different ways. And I had a great conversation yesterday with the amazing Janice Brown at our lab through the coalition, um, through higher ed universities in New York and looking at VR and XR. And she, she said, she's like, why would anyone just write a standard novel anymore? So I was saying, one of the things I wanna do is write an augmented audio experience or a, a novel in VR, or even ask like, what would the magazine of tomorrow be like? You know, obviously I, I subscribe to the New Yorker, I love the Atlantic, but I'm also thinking, how can our students unlock the possible next avenues of the way we literally consume the stories and write the stories that we want to share. And I think it's incumbent on instructors like myself to just be bringing these technologies into the classroom and then instructional designers, the tech team, all of us working together to think what kinds of grants do we need to make this happen? How many headsets do we need? Also, what are the departments that could be using these um, either AR, you know, you just need a smartphone for AR, but VR is a little bit more uh, of a thoughtful, you know, process, but from engineering to nursing to uh, mathematics, you know, we can use these different extended reality solutions to enhance the pedagogy. So that's just something I'm endlessly fascinated by and hoping to do much more course development with in the future. That's so cool. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm excited about everything that you've just said it, it, from what you, you know, in terms of like, why would you just write a standard no novel? Like I'm just imagining Edgar Allan Poe or Lovecraft, like in this super immersive environment and how that could like, you know, suddenly um, turn someone on to like literature because, you know, as you're saying, we have different modes of, of learning. And then I think about um, how exciting it would be to be able to create a discovery process. You know, we, we take clients through discovery process, but usually it's in person, taking them to the R lab to see, you know, what the possibilities are for, for immersive learning for the sciences. But even I think about, you know, engineers that I've worked with and, um, you know, I, I wanted to have, create a, a studio where you start to tackle things like the wildfires, you know, in California and how awesome would it be, you know, to, to, to explore with them by putting them in this the the situation and in the first person experience of you know an emergency responder or a fireman or someone in the community um, to really understand actually what it's like to live through that and and I am excited from even from the pr perspective of um, problem solving yes. how you know um, all of these immersive technologies will really create higher levels of not just empathy, but understanding, like understanding the context um, that we are actually dealing with so that you can't brush it aside, which we've been able to do pre-COVID. Pre um, we, uh, we have allowed ourselves to be distracted and allowed ourselves to be really busy. And now we have this moment in time where that's kind of shifting too. And so the, the kind of focus that some of these um, immersive and emerging technologies will create, I think, for the kinds of challenges we're facing is super interesting. Like you're just, Margo, you're just like making my head pop because it would be just so cool even, you know, again, for an engineer or for, for someone, I've heard this happen at another college, um, was, you know, a science major and then, you know, created a virtual opera <laughs> to look at like uh, cells and, 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 and just, you know, without having been exposed to those technologies would have probably just gone straight down the the science degree path and then got exposed to you know augmented reality and wrote an opera <laughs> so it's just like what are the possibilities if we um untether ourselves from being you know really single-minded and myopic in the way that we look at life and experiences and, and learning i couldn't agree more and Again, I am. I have fidelity to subject matter expertise. I, you know, definitely, I love certain areas, and then I drill down into those. We will always need specialists. We will always need, you know, genre, you know, um, minds who can bring us the rich history uh, of the world with that singular focus. But the possibilities are so exciting when we do bring the diversity of thought into some of these ideas. And I think complex problems need complex teams to think about what can spark and what can synthesize and where are those complementary forces. And I mean, I'm even seeing that with, you know, I've been helping to homeschool my five-year-old niece because the schools have been closed for COVID, with COVID. And, you know, I, I just try to like sneak in some engineering along with the storytelling as well. And, 
all of a sudden, you know, she has this little kaleidoscope and there's a, she put a little ladder near the kaleidoscope so that, you know, all these like little imaginary fairies can use the ladder, go up, look into the kaleidoscope. And so you have like some engineering, some spatial ideas and some storytelling around it. And I think that just, it creates that hunger and the appetite for more and more. And uh, I think again, folks that will look at, um, you know, look at a problem or look at, you know, that area of specialty and say, yes, this is, this is my life's work. That's wonderful again. But I think that what, what it has to offer is that we can, you can bring that subject matter expertise into a whole other arena. Like if we're thinking about product design using AR or how can we then tie um, 3D printing with AR and then a soft codec like Miro, which is that, you know, online collaborative and mind mapping software. So then now you can have like a soft codec with Miro, but then a video of a 3D printing, you know, class and you can do industrial design or product design with one school lab, but then open it up to all the satellite campuses. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it, but that's where I think a membership organization like Avixa has an incredible opportunity to uh, like raise the, the game for the members that do focus on higher ed. Schools large and small are taking 2020 to, to catch our breath for sure, but thinking the next decade is going to be so incredibly important in terms of the longevity of some of these institutions. And I think the, the technology for technology's sake, as we talked about previously, the peacock displays, the trophies, are gonna get higher scrutiny. And I think instead we're gonna think, well, how can we give our students the very best, most cutting edge experiences in a fully inclusive way? And the, the possibilities are endless when you bring creative minds together and break through silos, but it does take systems behind that to make it sustainable. I think we live inherently now in an interdisciplinary, inclusive, you know, multidisciplinary. <laughs> There's all these opportunities to combine efforts. And I think people hire for that. Definitely. Like they're hiring for that now. Teams are definitely taking different voices to do, to solve problems. Like you're saying, but yeah, it's starting early. Like you're both saying too, you know, we're seeing it in K through 12. We're seeing it at an elementary level. Um, I, is that something that it's happening now because we have to solve for that in the younger grades. But do you feel like that's going to be one of the lasting impacts of this? We're going to see younger and younger students using technology. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I hope yes. And I hope that it's not um, limited to private schools and, and, and K through 12s who have the resources. I mean, there's a, a, a real concern there, you know, and I think, um, we, you know, we shouldn't slow down their appetite uh, to kind of embrace some of these emerging technologies to really prepare, right? It's, education is about preparing um, students for the life that they're going to live in the future. Um, and I think we're seeing that there's a lot more uncertainty attached to that future. But there also seems to be a price tag uh, in terms of how well prepared and whether we, we get access, whether they get access to some of these emerging technologies. So, you know, one thing we haven't 
talked about yet, although you have Margot mentioned in terms of Avixa and, and the, the importance of, um, you know, their longevity is lo leadership. You know, leadership is incredibly important and, and where we invest resources, um, you know, really comes down to, to leadership in, in, in so many cases as we see it played out um, right now. And um, certainly I think there's more conversations around equity and access and inclusivity right now, um, but let's hope it's not just a, a moment right? Let's hope that it really is a, a movement that lasts and is sustainable and leads to more um, interrogation of, you know, where we have access and, and where we don't have access um, because we, we need to prepare, you know, everyone for the future. And that's just a bit of a concern, I think, and a bit of a challenge. Um, and I, I'm looking at, 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 the, at the US and North America right now, but it extends like everywhere, the, the question of equity. Yeah. That's a, a beautifully articulated statement and I could not agree more. And I think one of the silver linings out of the convergence of the summer of, of re really strong voices and amplification for social justice and for racial justice and the convergence of, of COVID and looking at uh, the dramatic, literally deadly consequences of systematic racism tying that to technology is about empowerment. And I think we have an extraordinary, rare opportunity to bring the leadership together and look at anti-racism, inclusion, and technology as all united because it's about policy. It's about saying, how can we, if we wanna think about an empowerment for all of our learners, Technology is fundamental. It is the language we speak. It is the tools, you know, we're using. And again, I'm not, I'm simply not pushing technology for technology's sake. It's just that we have to live in the world that we have. And if a school's um, emphasis on, you know, technology or yes, we're doing all remote, well, then every student needs not only a Chromebook or whatever kind of endpoint, but they need, maybe they need a router, maybe they need a hotspot. And so, uh, these are the questions that I, I luckily, you know, my university has been really thinking about deeply and I applaud them for that. But it is, again, a longer term question, but a wonderful opportunity to look at the, the relationship and the interplay around access, anti-racism, empowerment for all. Because if we want a thriving future, we really do have to think of it. As, as policy based and and work toward anti-racism work toward access uh, really strongly and I I love that we can all have this conversation you know we're this is a technology conversation but I think it's long overdue and I I think that the you know again it VIX is doing great work in that regard as well well that really gives me that gives me a lot of hope <laughs> there's a lot of, you just described um, a perfect Com combination of ideas and ideals that are, um, are reshaping the way we're going to approach education and technology in the future. So um, it's actually kind of a perfect moment, perfect way to wrap this up. <laughs> um, uh, I guess I, I wanted to ask just in wrapping up, maybe just for a glimpse into the future, like we've already kind of discussed it a lot, but what do you think the definition of multi-purpose learning and environments is now like it sounds like we have to include a lot in our vision 
uh, for design, but is there, is there a way you could describe what a learning space should be incorporating as we move forward? I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Margot dig into into the, the technology. I, I would just say, and again, I think yeah, the, the summary is pointing this out, um, is like that you need to de design for a multiplicity of perspectives and learners. Right. I think, you know, the education system hasn't changed in many, many, many years, um, but we're, we're starting to really understand, um, you know, uh, the way that people and the way that individuals have different learning capabilities. And I am excited to see a future where we're not pandering to like one <laughs> form of, of learning or one learner where we really appreciate the fact that, um, you know, there are sensory challenges, there's, you know, accessibility um, and, and universal design that we need to consider. And so I, I would imagine and hope for a future of education where the learning environment from a physical spatial perspective, but also from a, a technology perspective um, can flex for those different needs um, because you know the, the technology is there um, architects and designers can can design the spaces to be um, flexible so the only thing that's stopping us you know to Margo's point is policy is um, you know is the commitment um, from from leadership and even from from us as parents <laughs> to uh, embracing you know that it doesn't have to be you know one size fits all that that it might be actually you know behoove us to look at um, creating lots of uh, varieties lots of sizes lots of ways um, of, of, of teaching and learning yeah, I love that. And I think key to that is buy-in, diverse buy-in and a stakeholder and um, a stakeholder table that is representative of everyone. So first year students, senior students, alumni, family, you know, however, whatever might be sustainable. And again, I'm certainly, I'm not, um, I have my technology bona fides, but I'm a tech skeptic as much as the next person as well. And I think that's why I love it so much is because I see the, the ways it can improve, augment people's lives and facilitate deeper collaboration, more meaningful collaboration. But I think we all know Zoom fatigue is real and we all know the flattening effects of technology as well. So again, looking for the ways that multi-purpose doesn't mean anesthetized, but that it could still be rich and it can you know, instigate curiosity and deep rigorous uh, moments of learning and sharing and thinking and build community. So one of the biggest challenges I think with, um, and this is just a little bit of an asterisk on the, on the multi-purpose space, but one of the biggest challenges we have in higher education right now is how to build and continue community building, even though we'll, we may not ever meet in person. And these are very real challenges. I'd like to point to EDUCAUSE as having excellent best practices and CCUMC that focus on, you know, ways to, to look at data and look at um, studies that show, you know, how to meet learning objectives as well as give students the opportunity to build those long-lasting, lifelong friendships and collaborative relationships. I mean, I'm, I still 
collaborate in a professional and creative level with um, friends of mine that I met my freshman year at the University of Pittsburgh. So we still need to think about community and societal um, dynamics, even though we're not, you know, may never be on the same campus in, in the COVID era and beyond. So when we think about multipurpose, even if, if there are ways to say, okay, well, maybe you're going to be on campus just once a week, maybe once a month, maybe just once a term, but that there's still a, a place for you, for your learning style and itinerant teachers, adjunct, all the way up to tenured faculty, deans, et cetera, also need to have that home and know that they can use a control system easily. They don't need to go through the guesswork of relearning an operating system so that there does need to be universal design access, you know, obviously ADA compliance, but more of a space that we can all live in. So it sounds like a tall order, but they're incredible experts working on this and with great results. And that's again, interdisciplinarity, bringing in interior design, architectural experts like Francesca that live in the, that know what works in the built environment and how, how it's an agile space, but also a space that, need, that we need to feel secure and safe in because uh, learning is optimized in safety. So we do need to have that, you know, psychological sense of safety as well. Oh, I know one, one last thing adding to Margo, I think you really hit the nail on the head in terms of the importance of community. You know, you're still collaborating with your community at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and I, I just was um, hearing from a friend of mine who teaches high school here in New York. And she was saying, you know, relaying her first week of experience just this week. And she was like, Jessica, I don't know how much learning will happen this year, but they were all so excited to see each other that that might be the the best thing to come out of you know this year and I think that that's not we shouldn't we shouldn't underrate that because again community is so important and um, you know sometimes with technology I think there's this potential where we lose sight of um, each other and so I'm okay with <laughs> the only thing we get out of this this crazy uh, 2020 21 um, is is this importance of, of community so that we do collaborate because we're going to need to collaborate and so I think that's really important to not lose sight of as well. Yeah, the humanity bringing us back to each other. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. Like, it really ultimately is about creating the human connection. So it's like, whether the technology is in there or whether or not you can actually be in a room together, all, all told, we're trying to get back to that connection. So yeah, I think that's the perfect way, the perfect optimistic note <laughs> to put on how we're going to think about this going forward. So I really thank you so much for talking with me about this. And um, I'm so glad we could kind of look ahead together and cherish what we have right now too <laughs> so yeah all right thank you so much for joining me thank you thanks for having us thank you this was so fun i really appreciate it and hope to continue the conversation thanks for listening to the tide generator podcast produced by avixa find it wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time <laughs>